you are listening to the fourth ever episode of Our Little World. Today's episode is all about Australia. This episode is Australia 101. Before we start today's show, I have one quick request for all of you out there listening. If you haven't followed us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter yet, we definitely do. We are constantly posting some amazing historical images, some beautiful sunsets, some beautiful mountain ranges, just stuff that you want to see that'll make your day better. So again, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's Our Little World Podcast. Super easy to find us. You will not be disappointed. With that plug done, let's start the show. First on the list, as is tradition now, where is Australia? Australia is in the southwestern Pacific Ocean, west of New Zealand, uh, and south of Indonesia slash India slash Thailand, all those countries. Beautiful island continent. It is the sixth largest country in the world, largest in the southern hemisphere. And just to give you a reference on size, it's slightly smaller than the contiguous US 48 states, the ones that are on the continent. The official language of Australia is English, as you'd expect. It was a British colony for many years, no surprises there. Uh, Climate-wise, Australia actually has a variety of climates due to its large geographic size, Uh, but the majority of Australia is desert, uh, commonly known as the outback, and the outback takes up about 70% of the total landmass of Australia. So a massive amount of of Australia's landmass is the outback, and this climate is mostly hot and arid with really hot days and very cold nights so it's quite unhospitable unless you really know how to survive out there generally speaking the northern part of the country has a tropical climate it receives uh, the tail end of the monsoon season that hits india every year and so it gets lots of rains which keeps it uh, very lush and forest-like along the southeast coast you see a subtropical climate Uh, And this is what you would see if you went to Sydney or Melbourne. And then along the south coast, also known as the Great Australian Bight, it is hot and arid. Parts of Australia, especially during summer, regularly get over 40 degrees Celsius, which is about 100 degrees Fahrenheit. And this has been more and more common in the last, you know, 20 years with the rise of global climate change, uh, which is crazy hot. (laughs) Um coming from Boston, I can barely stand anything above 30 degrees. So uh, the only place you want to be on a hot summer day in Australia is in the water, in my opinion. The population of Australia is 23 million people, which is a lot, at least compared to like New Zealand, but it's actually quite small when you compare it to other places. So the US, for example, has 325.7 million people as of 2017. And just in the state of Texas alone, there are over 28 million people. So Texas has more people than Australia, just to give you an understanding of how small the population of Australia is. Um, But then again, 23 million is nothing to scoff at. In terms of distribution of population, most of the population is located on the outer edges of Australia and its cities. Uh, Less than 3% of Australia's population actually lives in the outback. So the second you get away from the coastal areas, it becomes significantly less populated, just as a general rule. 
the highest concentration of people residing on the coastal areas is in the states of New South Wales and Victoria along the southeastern coast of the country. Uh, and primarily, these people are located around the Sydney and, Me and Melbourne metro areas. So that's where most people live. The capital city of Australia is Canberra. And this is a special capital, similar in many ways to some capitals in other points of the world. So uh, it was a city built in the 20th century in between Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, and it was designed to be an inland capital that, you know, didn't favor one city over the other. And in many ways, it's kind of similar to Washington, D.C. in that it was just kind of raised out of nowhere in this very hot, humid area. But it's also similar to some other places. So like in Brazil, the capital of Brazil is Brasilia, for example, which is kind of an inland capital that's in between Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo. Uh, and it's very much, you know, a compromised capital so that, you know, neither city is favored in Australia as an economic or political hub. In terms of what the population looks like in Australia, it is even whiter <laughs> than New Zealand. So of the population, 86.4% of people that live in Australia are of European descent. And within that number, a full 67% are of British descent. So a really, really high percentage of people that live in Australia, their parents came over or their great parents, great grandparents came over or their great, great, great grandparents came over. The other significant population that definitely needs to be addressed is the Aboriginal population, which is the original inhabitants of the land. But their population is very small comparatively. They only make up about 3% of the population. So, um, you know, take that as you will. Very small population. The Chinese population is approximately 3.6%. Uh, the population that is of Indian descent is 1.7%. And then there's kind of smattering of other ethnic groups that lives in Australia. And the total number of these comes out to about 5.3%. Religiously speaking, Australia is just a little bit more than 50% Christian. 52.2% to be exact. Uh, there is a very small Muslim population, only about 2.6%. Only about there is a Buddhist population that's not too far behind that. There's a small amount of Hindus. Uh, and then the most significant other group in this category is non-religious, which is approximately 30% of Australians. And then there's almost 10% of people that just didn't even want to answer. So um, considering that they chose not to answer, you could probably assume that they're not religious, but I'm not one to say. <gasps> Do you hear that sound? You know what time it is. I am so excited today to be talking about, honestly, my favorite place in Melbourne. The place I live, Habitat HQ. This is an incredible hostel nestled in St. Kilda that really gives you everything you could possibly hope for. It's so clean. It has such amazing staff. It's such a social place to live. And I've been living here for over a month and a half and just can't seem to get enough of it and really don't want to leave anytime soon. So if you are coming to Melbourne anytime soon or you're coming in the future, I definitely recommend you look up Habitat HQ first. They have private rooms, they have group rooms, they have great rates. Uh, and I can definitely tell you that you will not be disappointed. All right, let's get back to the show. 
As you may or may not know, Australia is a constitutional monarchy. Uh, within the system, that means that Queen Elizabeth is still a ceremonial head of state, just like New Zealand, Canada, and the UK. The country is partially modeled after the American system, so being such a huge country, it has six states, and each state has its own constitution with certain powers and responsibilities. And then the federal government it has a bicameral legislature, so they have a Senate and a Congress. And, and so for the Congress, there are congressional districts where people run, uh, which typically makes the races very two-party. And then for the Senate, it's much more of a uh, parliamentary system where you know, this percentage of votes gets you this many candidates. I would classify Australia as a modern Western democracy. So some notable policies that they have that definitely stand out. Uh, they have compulsory voting, so you can actually get fined if you don't vote which I think is pretty cool. They have social security. They have socialized medicine. They have very strict gun regulation, and this came after a mass shooting incident in the 90s. In all but two Australian states, abortion is totally legal up to 20 weeks. Uh, and then in those states where it's not legal for those specific cases, it is legal in certain circumstances. So if, the, for example, there was rape or it's good for the woman's health, then it is allowed. Same-sex marriage has been legal since December of 2017, and medical marijuana was actually legalized in 2017 as well. So they are slowly moving along the scale on some of the stuff that's familiar to many of us. There are only about three federal parties of note that I will mention. Uh, just to give you an understanding, Australia is essentially a two-party system with a few parties winning local elections here and there. So the first party I'll mention is the Liberal National Coalition, and this party took about 42% of the vote in the last election. As in the name suggests, it is actually two parties. So there's the Liberal Party and the National Party, but they've been united basically as one party since 1946. Typically, the Liberals draw votes from urban areas, and the Nationals typically draw votes from the rural areas. And they have this strange system of organization in which basically they don't compete in districts where one of them is favored to win. So, um, you know, it's essentially one party, but there's like some specific rules that keep it separate for a variety of reasons. Generally speaking, they are center right on the spectrum. Uh, so they're kind of fiscally conservative. Always, like, They're really keen to deliver budget surpluses, which they actually did this year. Um, and they really focus on the economy. That's kind of their main focus. But one thing that kind of comes up pretty often is that they're often at odds with uh, environmental groups. It is worth noting, however, that they do support things like Social Security. They do thing support things like National Medicare. They do support things like strict gun regulation. So while I say these guys are you know, center-right, keep in mind Americans typically are very conservative. The Australian Labour Party is the next most important party in Australia. Uh, in the last election, they got about 34% of the vote. So uh, this party is definitely center-left on the spectrum. They are self-identified as a democratic socialist party, and they're actually the oldest political party in Australia. Uh, specifically, their party platform focuses heavily on civil rights, particularly for Aboriginal people, and they're really big on expanding the welfare state and protecting workers' rights. The only minor party that I will mention is the Australian Greens, and these guys took about 10% of the vote in the last election. Uh, they are most definitely a left-wing environmentalist party, 
with four core values. Those, so those four core values are ecological st- sustainability, social justice, grassroots democracy, and peace and nonviolence. What's important to note with the Australian Greens is they typically align themselves with labor. So when you consider that you know Australian labor only took 34% of the vote in the last election, it might be worthwhile just adding the Australian Greens to that number because in any issue where it's you know a black and white right versus left decision, the Australian Greens are probably going to align themselves with the Labor Party more often than not. Uh, and there are definitely other minor parties that perform exceptionally well in local and state elections. But just speaking, you know, in a federal perspective in the in Congress and things like that, there really aren't other parties that are um, vi- viable parties to vote for. As of today's episode, the current government is run by the Liberal National Coalition, and they won office in 2015 by seven seats. When they were elected, the prime minister they put in office was Malcolm Turnbull, uh, and he was seen as a centrist candidate, but during his term as prime minister, he was seen as a lame duck prime minister by many, and after two votes of confidence over his leadership, uh, in August of 2018, Scott Morrison took over, uh, and he was chosen from the ranks of the parties to serve as a new prime minister as a compromise candidate. So just to give you an idea of what Scott Morrison represents. I'm going to run through some issues that he is for and against. So he is an evangelical Christian, uh, which has meant that in past he has voted against gay marriage. But since the issue has been pretty much put to rest since in 2017, it's not really an issue anymore. He has regularly voted against environmental protection policies. For example, he's voted against solar subsidies. He's voted against a carbon tax. And regularly his voting record has reflected a lack of protection for freshwater sources. He has been typically against increasing trade union power, and along those lines, he's also pro-neoliberal when it comes to trade policy. Um, But he's also not totally on the side of the right, so he is pro-paid parental leave, and in the wake of the Christchurch massacre, Uh, He has been very reconciliatory, preaching against tribalism and promoting the they are us narrative that Jacinda Ardern has pushed. Um, And, you know, chasing along these lines, he's also really in recent weeks come out against, you know, the identity politics that is so strong in American politics right now. And now it's time to get into the economy, the best part of the show. So... Um, in 2017, Australia's GDP per capita was roughly 54,000 US dollars, which puts it roughly $6,000 behind the USA, at least in per capita terms, but $14,000 above its mother country, the United Kingdom. Contributing to Australia's booming economy, uh, first I'll mention the agricultural sector, and this makes up approximately 3.6% of the economy as of 2017. Uh, and the primary products coming from the agricultural sector of Australia are wheat, barley, sugarcane, fruits, cattle, sheep, and poultry. The industrial sector, which makes up approximately 25.3% of Australia's economy, is made up primarily of mining. So things like coal, iron, copper, gold, and natural gases have been major exports of Australia for a long time, as well as industrial and transportation equipment. Uh, And lastly on the list, I have food processing and chemicals and steel. Last on the list is services, uh, which makes up approximately 71.2%, which is no surprise considering that Australia is a post-industrial economy. So the majority of 
residents now rely on service sector jobs to earn their income. One thing that I want to note about Australia specifically is that, like New Zealand, it has pursued a form of neoliberal socialism, basically a system in which the government has backed away from protectionist economic policies, but has simultaneously created a broad social safety net that Australians know they can count on in in times of need. And now I want to get into a special story about Australia. As we speak, Australia is approaching the 28th straight year without going into a recession. So, technically speaking, this is defined as two consecutive quarters of negative growth. And this boom began in 1991 and simply hasn't stopped. Uh, In November of 2018, my favorite NPR show, The Indicator by Planet Money, interviewed the director of Australia's central bank for an explanation about how this has occurred. And he explained that basically it can be attributed to three specific things. The first one he mentioned is that as an exporter of gold, iron, and uranium, Australia has benefited directly from the rise of China and its intense demand for these resources. Additionally, Australia has benefited mightily from the rising upper classes of Asia, who love Australia as a destination for tourism and education. Next, the Australian government has shown an ability to balance its checkbook and regularly save money during times of economic boom, which has allowed it to spend more freely when things are on a downturn, like in 2008 when uh, they basically saw a recession was coming, the central bank was able to act more freely because there was significantly less federal debt holding them back. And the last reason I'll give is that the banks of Australia, especially in 2008, didn't have as many crappy investments that many European and American banks had. So the financial system in Australia required very little help during the crisis. Looking forward, the outlook for Australia's economy in 2019 is par to subpar, but Generally speaking, Australians have a lot to be thankful for and a lot to be proud of when it comes to their long economic run. And that's it, guys. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Australia 101. Next week, we will be jumping into Australian history with our first brief history of Australia episode. So get very excited and definitely tune in for that one because I am so excited to get that out to you guys. Have an awesome week and I'll chat to you next Monday.